Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. Amen. One of the benefits of having a Sunday night service still is that we get both speakers from the youth summer retreat to be here at the same time. And we're so glad. We're so glad to have missionary Jerry West to the Washington, D.C. area with us. He was speaking this week at the youth retreat. Thank you for investing in young people. We want you to come and greet everyone. Would you stand and honor the man of God? Amen. Going to D.C. We pray revival. Amen. We want you to greet us tonight. Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. It is good to be at the Anchor Church on this Sunday night. And we love this great assembly and pastor and sister bounds. And so we, as he said, we were here speaking with Brother Huckabee at the youth retreat. And I didn't want to miss the opportunity to come and worship with you tonight and say how much we appreciate you, your support of our family as we go to establish an apostolic church in Washington, D.C. When we were here last, uh, just uh, nearly two years ago, 21 months ago, I was in my second week of deputation. So we were traveling North America to raise the funds to do the work that God has called us to do. And now here we are 21 months later and my car is filled to the brim with all of our belongings that didn't make it in the U-Haul. And when I leave here, we're headed to Washington DC to begin the work to plant a church. So I thank you for your support, for your prayers. Let's have a revival in Washington DC. We're going to pray a blessing over him, aren't we? We're going to be in prayer, joining them financially and spiritually as they go to D.C. to plant a church. Man, thank you for being here. We're glad we're the last stop on the way. And uh, without any further ado, it is an honor and a privilege of mine to introduce our speaker tonight, Brother Jason Huckabee. Come on up here, Brother Huckabee. It's been too long since you've been in Zanesville. I wouldn't be surprised if we walk out of there in the month of June and it starts snowing. He said, my feet are cold right now. Amen. Sister Natalie and Mallory, Rhett and Knox. When Knox was here, I was privileged to dedicate him to the Lord. And we are so glad. One of the most amazing families I've ever met. It's good to have them here, back with us. At a very key moment in my life, they showed up, was a blessing to us, preached every Sunday night. I laughed so much in four months, my jaws were sore, literally sore from all the laughter he brings. I said, when you're around Brother Jason Huckabee, he's a party waiting to happen. Aren't we glad to have him here with us and them, their family? Would you give them a big Zanesville anchor welcome? Amen. Let's welcome them tonight. I love you. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. It is indeed an honor to be here, and uh, I feel like I'm at home. I uh, drove into town just a little bit early. We went through town, and of course, I don't even know how to come to church here without a, the biggest cup of Tim Horton's coffee that you can buy. So 
we went over on Maysville Pike to the Tim Hortons and got us a cup of coffee and drove through Zanesville and reminisced. And of course, the kids are in the back laughing at uh, Natalie and I as we reminisce because they they don't remember much of it, you know, so they were a little young. But uh, what the Lord did for us uh, in those four months that we were here in Zanesville is I can't describe in the next several minutes. Uh, I told Natalie when we were driving into Ohio, I said it's real hard for me to not become emotional just driving through Ohio to think about what the bounds did for us in this wonderful church in healing and really setting us on a trajectory to where we are now. And I am so grateful for the, to this church for those four months and to the Bounds family. You all are blessed with the best, please. I, I quote this from time to time. Uh, and I, I cannot go through this crowd and begin naming the people uh, because I'd leave somebody out and I don't want to do that. Uh, your pastor said one time, he said, you know, Huck, you and I kind of belong together. And I said, we do? And he said, yeah. He said, you know, I have a tendency to be too spiritual. And he said, you have a tendency to be too carnal. <laughs> And together, we're just the right balance. <laughs> I love you. I love you, Cindy, and I love your family. If you have your Bibles tonight, the book of Jonah chapter 1 is where I'll take my text, the book of Jonah chapter 1, and then to be in service with your uh, great ministry team, uh, Brother Uptegrave, Brother Melick, and, and then also... Uh, to be in service with Brother Jerry West, uh, a powerful apostolic ministry. Uh, it was wonderful to be partnered with him this week for Ohio Summer Retreat. And then I saw somewhere in the back a long lost soul. Hopefully he will pray through tonight. He is your Ohio District Youth President, Brother Anthony Nutter. You know, sometimes when you're preaching, you're reaching for a lost soul. It isn't always that you call them out before you preach, but that's my modus operandi tonight. Amen. So it was great to preach for them at their church plant this morning. And for the very first time in cross church history, they had Priscilla, a girl in their church, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost today. Amen. The book of Jonah chapter one and verse number one is where I'll begin reading. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and cry against it for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. But the Lord sent out a great wind 
into the sea and there was a mighty tempest so that the ship was like to be broken. The Lord will help me for just a few moments this evening. I want to preach to you tempestuous times. Tempestuous times. Would you put your Bibles down and put your hands in the air and let's just invite the Lord to speak to us for the next few moments. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, oh, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Speak, Lord, all over this house. We give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Nineveh, that great Assyrian capital, the most populated and prominent city of its day. Her inhabitants were not Hebrews, but were violent pagan Gentiles. It's here that we read as the Lord begins to speak to the prophet. Cry against it, God said, or transliterated, call this great city to repentance. The truth is that God could not have called him to a more intimidating task. It would seem that this call to preach in this wicked nation, this city that comes with all sorts of sin and pagan rituals. And the Lord speaks to this prophet. Jonah, I want you to preach to this city. I want you to preach this wicked nation to repentance. It was the preaching. It was the call that overwhelmed the prophet Jonah. Because what God was calling him to was more than just preaching. It was preaching in this violent, wicked culture. It brought with the call a great depth of trepidation to Jonah. It was that God was calling him to preach to a non-Hebrew nation. It seemed, if you would, to signal a shift in whom God would reach for. Perhaps to bring clarity to the text, it's important to understand that this event is pre-Acts 10.44 and the Gentiles have never had a prophet preach them salvation. Jonah is called, positioned, and anointed for a purpose that perhaps is beyond understanding because no one has ever done this before. It would appear that Jonah's running is a myriad of circumstances because the cost of the calling is more than this prophet is willing to pay. This intimidating ancient metropolis and its history of violence seemed to be a task beyond the prophet's comfort zone. Not to mention it would appear that God is turning his attention to a non-Hebrew people and Jonah cannot understand it. 
And so it's here in this moment that Jonah gives up on the will of God. A plan that he doesn't understand because no one has ever preached to a non-Hebrew nation. And the size of the task is greater than what he feels equipped for. To understand a little bit about the plight of Jonah, it's important to know the history of Nineveh. Not only is it violent, not only is it pagan, not only does it present a number of challenges that are beyond the comfort zone of a Hebrew prophet, but beyond that, Brother Bounds, it is the largest known city in the world. When you walk through the gates of Nineveh, you are walking into the largest city with the greatest number of inhabitants of any city on the planet. And God speaks to Jonah and he says this, I want you to go to the biggest city. I want you to go to the largest number of citizens. I want you to go to a non-Hebrew nation and I want you to do something that no one has ever done before. Can I just stop here and make this statement and that is that God wants to call us to something that is bigger than we are. Brother Bounds, when God looked at the city, he saw something different than what Jonah saw. When God looked at the city, he saw an open door. When God looked at the city, he saw potential and opportunity for an entirety of people to receive salvation. But when Jonah looked at it, he saw a people that no one had ever preached. But mm, I feel a little help in this house. Can I tell somebody that God wants to call you to something that nobody has ever done before? Mm. Do you know just because you have never seen it does not mean that God does not want to do it. And because God has never used you in this way does not mean that God cannot use you now for the purpose that he has foreordained for your destiny. Jonah said, but no Hebrew prophet has ever preached to Gentiles. Well, just because you've never seen cancer disappear does not mean God can't do it. Just because you've never seen a marriage put back together does not mean that God cannot do it. Just because you've not seen someone who has lived in the degradation of sin be delivered does not mean that God cannot do it. Jonah, God's bigger than you. All too often, we relegate God's power to what we can understand. Because you can't understand it doesn't mean God doesn't want to do it. Because you've never seen a virgin birth doesn't mean that there's not going to be 
a woman that's going to bring forth a baby and the government shall be upon his shoulders and he shall deliver his people from their sin. Nobody had ever seen it, but God knew what he was transforming. Jonah, you need to think bigger than you. You need to think bigger than what you can manage. You need to think bigger than what you can reason through. You need to think bigger than what humanity can manage in and of itself or you have the capacity to think for. Sometimes we just gotta let faith operate. How many of you all believe that God can do anything? Mm, I wish I had a little help tonight. I said, how many of you believe that God can do anything? Let me ask you this, you might believe that he can, but how many of you believe that he will? exceeding and abundantly above all you can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us and that power's in this room tonight. You can leave here set free. You can leave here delivered. You can leave here made whole by the power of the Spirit. You know, Brother Bounds, I don't know that I'd ever seen deaf ears unstopped. I told this at our summer youth convention over here. It's been a few months ago now in our church. There's a lady, she probably hadn't been to church a handful of times. I was still standing on the platform and she was sobbing. Well, it's fairly normal in the altar. So I don't know that I was drawn to it until somebody came over and said, Brother Huckabee, Sister Donette wants to talk to you. I went down, she's crying. She said, Pastor, she said, my little girl has never heard music without the help of hearing aids. She said, your voice is the first voice she's ever heard without the help of hearing aids. She said, right there in the middle of the service, she said, I just thought, you know what? It ain't gonna happen if I don't try it. And she said, I just reached up and started snapping the hearing aids out of her ear. She said, while you were praying, I just snapped the hearing aids out of her ear. And he said, I looked, she said, I looked and tears started running down her face as she heard music without the aid of a hearing device for the very first time. She held out her hands and we took a picture of her little girl's hearing aids that she didn't need anymore because just because I'd never seen it before did not mean that God couldn't do it. Jonah, God's calling you to something that's bigger than what you are, but you gotta believe. It's bigger than me. Perhaps because we frequently filter through the lens of humanity just what God can do. I believe that Jonah's running, while perhaps it is a myriad 
of reasons. I believe that Jonah's running is because he just doesn't feel like he is adequate for the task that's in front of him. I believe that if we could hear Jonah speak on that side of the boat, Jonah would say, nobody's ever done this before. I can't do this. The task is too big for me. And so Jonah, I believe, decides that he'll just run to Tarshish to get away from the pressure of the call. And as he runs, the Bible said he paid the fare to Tarshish. Can I just stop right here and say to somebody that oftentimes in our running, we feel like perhaps that the Lord has provided the fare for the, something that is outside his will. I wonder, I wonder if Jonah went down to Tarshish and he began reasoning, Brother Cody. I wonder if while he's taking the money and paying the fare taker, if he's saying, if God didn't want me to do this, then he'd have never given me the money to buy the ticket. God knows how to close a door just as well as he knows how to open a door. And if God didn't want me to go, then he wouldn't let me go. And he would have not have provided the money for me to pay for the ticket to go. Can I stop and tell somebody that you're going to pay the price? Whether you go to Tarshish or whether you go to Nineveh, there is always a price to be paid. I want to say to some apostolic in this room, there is a price to pay whether you're following the will of God or the will of man. There is a price to be paid. Whether you're going to end up with a needle in your arm or faith in your mouth, there is a price to be paid for the journey. There are too many Christians who say, I'm not willing to pay the price. Do you know how, what kind of sacrifice is required to walk with the Lord? I felt like my little girl's here. I don't know where she is. She's here. She hates it when I preach about her, but I love to do it. (laughs) My little girl's here, Brother Bouncing. When we went to Blue Springs, there was no kids her age in the youth group. Called a church in St. Louis and asked them if she could come and go to youth convention with them or, or maybe it was youth camp. No kids. Mom, her mama told her, you know, her mama's, you know, pretty straight to the point. She just said, baby, I'm sorry that you don't have a bunch of kids to go to church with. I'm sorry about all that, but here's the deal. Just go win them. Just go win them. You want friends? Go win them. So my, my, my little girl, she started calling her friends at school. Hey, you want to come to church with me? I'm going to fast forward in the story. At this point, she's had 14 friends receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She called me one night. She said, Dad, 
I got more friends coming to church tonight than our van will haul. I said, baby, I'll get the church van. Let's go pick them up. We went and picked all those kids up that night. I believe 10 of them received the baptism of the Holy Ghost for the first time. Just because you haven't ever seen it does not mean God doesn't want to do it. And because you may not feel old enough or capable enough or anointed enough doesn't mean God doesn't want to use you. Will of God. I got to, Brother Melik, I got to preaching about it. I got to talking about it. I felt like the enemy said something to me. I felt in my prayer time, I just told my wife this. I said, I felt like the enemy said to me, if you keep preaching about what I'm doing through you, girl, you don't know what I can do. And brother, brother Bounds, you know what I said? When people don't follow the Lord, I've seen what he can do. But when people follow the Lord. (laughs) Let me tell you, it ends up a lot worse when you go to Tarsus than it does when you follow the will of God to Nineveh. God's calling you to a city. He's calling you to a place. He's calling you to anointing. He's calling you to a new dimension of faith. Don't you dare believe that because you are inadequate in and of your own humanity that God's not going to follow through the calling to the destiny he's foreordained for you to live in. You got to pay the price. You're going to either pay the price because you may not fit into the rest of the community you fellowship with, or you're going to pay the price to pray and sacrifice. Or maybe you'll pay the price because you'll end up with an addiction. You'll end up linked to a legacy of addiction and failure. I'm going to tell you, I've seen too many people that say they can't pay the price to live a life of apostolic identity and be faithful to church. And they walk out of the church and they pay the price for living in the world. Can I just tell somebody in this room, you're going to pay the price one way or another. Either you're going to pay the price in your marriage or you're going to pay it in addiction or you're going to pay it in some kind of failure along the way or you'll pay it in prayer. You'll pay it in fasting and you'll pay it in revival. Let me tell you, those folks who say you pay the price because you show up to church four nights a week. I'd rather pay the price in church four nights a week than I would walking into a jail cell to get my children out by posting bail. You're going to pay the price one way or another. Jonah, just do the will of God. Walk in obedience. God's purpose and anointing is on you. Jonah ran. Jonah ran from the will of God because it's bigger than him. You know, the will of God 
is not always the open door. Well, God's not always the open door. You know, just because somewhere halfway around the world offered you a job promotion doesn't mean that's the will of God. Just because you can get a bigger house that's 300 miles away than the one you live in right now does not mean that is the will of God. The open door is not always the will of God. In fact, let me just tell you about the children of Israel who walked around for 40 years in a circle dying in a desert and the Bible said that their shoes never wore thin, their clothes never wore out, they had manna every morning and quail every evening and they were completely out of the will of God. And brother, up the grave, they crossed the Jordan and they're in a battle at Jericho they go lose a battle at Ai, have to come back and deal with the Achan issue, and then go back to Ai, and he gives them victory, and he said, I'm giving you houses you didn't build, and vineyards you didn't plant, and we're going to drive out the enemies, but you're going to be in one battle after the other taking this land. Woo! I want to tell somebody just because the door is open and there is very little resistance does not mean that you are in the will of God. But the will of God always comes with a battle. Jonah, let me just help you right here. It's bigger than you are. And you got to fight your way through it. And you struggle your way through it. And you walk your way through it. And you pray your way through it. And you fast your way through it. And you seek God your way through it. But walk to your destiny because the other side of it is victory. So Jonah pays the fare. He pays a fare and his lack of obedience leads him to a place of spiritual lethargy. The Bible said that Jonah found a place to sleep. And he turned off the sounds and he turned off the voices and he turned off the spiritual promptings. And he slept during the prayer meeting and he slept through the danger and he slept with all the problems that were around him. And as the tempest is rising, the prophet sleeps on. And he slept while the heathen needed his attention to call on his God so that the storm's waves might subside, but Jonah just kept on sleeping. But the truth is that in the midst of our spiritual lethargy while we sleep, God has the ability to send a wake-up call. I said, God has a way of sending a wake-up call. Even to believers that are in rebellion, God has a way of sending a wake-up call. 
the waves are crashing, the storm is brewing, the heathen is praying, and then the captain of the ship comes calling. Everything in Jonah's path is saying, wake up, Jonah. God's calling you to something bigger than what you are. And can I just tell somebody, an anointed man or woman on the run from God puts everyone in their path in danger. Nothing is safe when you're running from God. Nothing. Jonah says to the man, the captain of the ship, because it doesn't take long, Brother West, for them to realize that this isn't just a normal storm. There's something going on here that is directed by the Spirit. God's trying to get somebody's attention and the captain goes and wakes him up and he said, sir, you better get to praying. And by the way, who are you? I'm a prophet on the run. I'm a man who's anointed. I've got the hand of God on me and I'm running. In fact, Jonah's so anointed that he stands up on the ship and he starts to preach to the people and he has a revival right there out of the will of God. Nehemiah, while he's preaching, the Bible said the entire ship repented. Jonah running from God, out of the will of God, not fulfilling God's call or his purpose, but he stands up and he still has anointing on him and he preaches a revival and a bunch of people are saved on board the ship because he's still anointed enough to have revival while he's dislodged from God's purpose. Jonah, Jonah, could I tell you something tonight? That God's way is as important as God's will. God's way is as important as God's will. Most of us want God's will, but we want God's will done our way. And God looked at Jonah and he said, I want my will my way. My will, my way. Let me tell you how important the will of God is. The will of God's important enough. If you don't believe that the will of God is important, then why don't you ask Eve how she feels on this side of paradise? Because while Eve sits on the stump being beguiled by the serpent, The Bible said that the serpent beguiles Eve because she's attracted to fruit. My Lord, I feel a little help right now. She's attracted to fruit. Brother Bounds, do you know what messed up paradise? Eve's desire for equality. Now don't, don't misrepresent this as a political statement because it's not at all. It's just that the serpent beguiled Eve by saying you can be equal to God. 
You can make your own decisions and then be all right. You don't have to submit your destiny to the will and purpose of God. You just do what you want because if you'll eat of this fruit, you can be equal to God. And Eve stepped completely out of the will of God into her personal will because she could control her own destiny by not walking in alignment with God's calling and purpose. And she ingested a fruit that was the only thing that she could not have. And it was just her desire to be God. She looked in the tree and she ate the fruit. It's the only thing God told her not to eat. Now, I've wondered this. Why didn't God put the tree off on the backside of paradise? He didn't. He put it in the middle. When you walk through this garden, you got to walk right by the very thing that I don't want you to have. Because every time you walk right by that, it is an act of submission. It's saying that I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to serve the tree. It's the only thing I can't have, but I'm going to walk right by the tree. Every time that you make the choice to follow what God's called you to do, in spite of how you feel, it is a service or an altar that you're building to God saying, God's first in my life. I don't care what the fruit looks like. I don't care what the fruit smells like. I don't care what the, oh, I'm walking around the, this tree that's planted in the middle of the garden and it is an act of obedience to God. Jonah, you keep on walking by the fair taker because God's called you to a destiny and your willingness to walk in obedience is your building an altar to his service. You don't think the will of God's important? Brother West, ask Eve. Ask Eve with one boy dead and the other banished if the will of God's not of vital importance. You know, the reason that Cain died, I believe, is because his mama sowed into him a heart for fruit. And I don't care if God required a blood sacrifice or not. He was focused on fruit. And fruit cost mom paradise and fruit cost Cain his being amalgamated into the family. Fruit. Because he had this philosophy that if I want it, I should be able to take it. Yeah. Because mom wanted to be equal to God. God didn't make her decision, she did. And God's not gonna make my decision, I am. The will of God at any cost. The will and purpose of God. And Jonah's running. And he's running to Tarshish. He buys the fare. And while he's on the boat, the Bible said that a great wind came. The Bible said that the men there, even post-salvation, look at Jonah and say, Jonah, 
we don't want to do this. But you're going to have to be cast into the sea. They get him. And they throw him overboard. Maybe, maybe they're the victors of the story or maybe their, their character ought to be highlighted to the greatest degree. Because sometimes when you're going the wrong direction, you need somebody to not enable you, but to push you out of the boat. You know, sometimes, sometimes, pastor, what we do is say, oh, it's going to be all right. You're going to figure it out. It's going to be fine. And what they really need is somebody to point their finger at them and say, thou art the man. You got to get out of the boat. You're the reason for the crisis. Eve, you're going to have to change what you got an appetite for. You're going to have to walk around the tree because if you don't, you're going to sow into Cain something that's going to destroy the family lineage for the rest of history. Eve, you got to walk into obedience and the will and purpose of God. Get out of the boat and get in alignment with God's will. They kicked him out of the boat. I said all that really to get to what I'm going to say in the next five minutes. That things aren't always what they seem to be in the storm. Bible said that it it seemed that the ship would break. That ship wasn't ever going to break. It just seemed like it's going to. You might be in this room tonight and you, you feel like that you're about to lose it. You're not going to lose it. You're just in a ship that seems like it's going to break. But God knows what he's doing the entire time. You just didn't know what he was doing. It just seemed like the ship was going to break. But the ship wasn't going to break because God said, I've called you to preach at Nineveh and I'm going to make sure that you get there. And if the ship breaks and you're not going to get to where you're going, so I'm going to leave the ship intact. I'm just going to make you feel like the ship's going to break. I wish I had a little help from somebody who said, I thought I was going to lose my mind. I thought that I wasn't going to make it through the trial. I thought I was going to lose out before I got to where God called me to. It felt like the ship was going to break, but can I tell you that it's going to be all right. Stand to your feet all over the room. He's running from God. He's in the middle of a storm. He's struggling with disobedience. He wasn't walking in the will and purpose of God. It wasn't God's will and God's way. The Bible said that the men threw Jonah overboard. And the Lord prepared a great fish. And the Lord prepared a great wind. But Cody, if you ask Jonah, Jonah said, I spent three days in the belly of hell. But that's not what the word said. Jonah said, I was in the middle of a storm. But that's not what the book said. 
the book said, while you were running from me, and while you were running from my purpose and my calling, I didn't send hell to get you. I sent a great fish. While you were running from my calling and the thing that was bigger than you, I didn't send a storm to take you out. I sent a great wind to apprehend you because God don't send storms to kill you. God sends greatness to apprehend you. Jonah's running and he thinks Brother Melech he's in the middle of hell but God said that's not hell that's greatness I sent to get you that's not a storm you're going through I prepared greatness to come and get you because I called you to something bigger than what you are and you were going to run from the greatest thing that I positioned you for so I'm going to send greatness to catch you I want to tell somebody in this room that God's sending something wonderful to bring you into your purpose He said greatness. A great fish. A great whale. And while he's cruising around, Brother Nehemiah, in what he calls hell, somebody hear me, he wasn't in hell at all. It was the vehicle of greatness that God sent him to reposition him for his destiny. Can I tell somebody that the storm you're in is nothing more than God repositioning you for your God-ordained purpose? Where you at? Where you at, Jonah? I'm right in front of the gate of the city. I ran to the other end of the world and I bought a fare and I paid the price and I went through all that I went through to get there. But even on the other side of the world when I was trying to sleep through my calling, God sent greatness to apprehend me and he didn't send it to kill me. He sent it to reposition me right back in front of the perfect will of God. What you're going through didn't come to take you out. It come to take you into your destiny. You know, I, I want you to consider the statement I'm about to make not that you cannot be lost and not that you cannot just out of hand reject the will of God because I understand that you can. There are too many times that people fear that they're just not spiritual enough and they're going to miss God's plan. I love Him and I want to serve Him but I'm afraid in this decision that I'm going to miss God's calling on my life or I'm going I'm to get out of position and not walk into God's perfect purpose. The Bible. The Bible said that the children of Israel 
would never have gone out the way of the Red Sea. That their plan was to go out by the way of the Philistines. But God knew that wasn't right for them. He knew that they would have taken the easiest, most direct route out and would have been swallowed up in the threat of war. And in so doing, they would have come back to Egypt for garlic and melons. And God said, hold on just a minute. And the Bible said, he put his finger on the heart of Pharaoh. And this is in Huck vernacular. He said, go get them. And the Bible said that Pharaoh chased them through the Red Sea. A God-prepared adversary chased them right into their destiny. Pharaoh's not the devil. <laughs> Pharaoh's greatness. <laughs> Pharaoh, Pharaoh is not the Antichrist. Pharaoh is not evil. Pharaoh is not the devil. He's a gift from God that is greatness that chased them right into the perfect position that God had foreordained for them to walk in. That's not the storm that's coming to get you. That's not the belly of hell that you gotta go through. That's not the devil that's chasing you. That's God's purpose because God doesn't want you to miss it any more than you want to miss it. And if you'll just walk in alignment with his calling, God said, I'll even prepare an adversary chase you right into the promised land. What is it, Jonah? It's greatness that's come to get me. Because God doesn't want me to miss it. But Jerry, Jonah walks right into Nineveh. Three days out of the belly of hell. Three days from what he called a storm. And he preached perhaps the greatest revival. And in fact, caused not only the citizens to repent, but the king repented and he wouldn't even allow the cattle to drink water or eat food for three days. And the Bible said God did something supernatural in that non-Hebrew nation as they were called to repentance because God repositioned a man with purpose. Somebody lift your hands and open your heart all over this room. Brother Bounds, I told my wife. I feel it so desperately in this room as if I were standing here eight years ago. Tell you the truth is I prayed my way through the belly of hell in that little room back there. Night after night, your pastor and his wife, we sat in their living room. We sat in their office, wounded and hurting, crying, Didn't know if I was going to make it. 
to chase me into my destiny because I wouldn't be here tonight or I wouldn't be pastoring in Kansas City or I wouldn't be seeing signs, wonders, and miracles in that church. Not today if God hadn't sent a Pharaoh to chase me into my destiny. If God hadn't sent a great fish to take me on the journey, what I didn't know is God was working something else completely out under the cover of the sea that I didn't know anything about. Jonah, God was preserving you for a destiny. He's about to take you into something supernatural, but you couldn't get there without going through what you had to go through. But God sent you and he sent greatness to apprehend me. God's sending something great, but don't dare mislabel your storm. Because it may not be a storm at all, it might be greatness. Don't dare call it hell when it's greatness. It's God sending something to reposition you so that you can walk in divine purpose. Woo, lift your hands and open your hearts all over this house. I'm done. I'm done, but I, I want to make this last point. Nehemiah. It's the Bible. The Bible said that David showed up at Ziklag. And his house was burning. And his goods were looted. And his children were taken hostage. The Bible said the men spake of stoning him. David's just kind of sitting there in a crisis. Brother Bounce, theologians say he's been on the run from Saul for somewhere between 8 to 15 years. And the culmination of this 8 to 15 year crisis is his house burned to the ground. His children taken hostage. His wives are captive and his goods are looted. And David's sitting there with the only friends he has left and they're talking about stoning him. Looks like hell. It looks like a storm. It looks like a crisis. But what David don't know is that right now in a cave at Endor, Saul is seancing up a prophet and the prophet's telling him by this time tomorrow you're going to be a dead man and David is a man after my own heart and I've chosen him to be the king of this nation he thought it was hell but he didn't know what God was doing the entire time he was standing there in the backdrop of the smoldering smoke of Ziklag he didn't know that he didn't know that God was moving on a prophet he didn't know that God had allowed an old prophet to be seanced up from the grave to give a word to a man who can't even hear from God anymore 
be careful what you label the season you're in because God's doing something on your behalf right now to bring you into a preordained destiny that you may not be able to recognize. This is not a storm. It's greatness that's come to deliver you to the door of destiny. Lift your hands all over this room one more time if you're in this house. God wants to heal you. God wants to give you a revelation of your purpose. God wants you to recognize that you're called to something bigger than what you think you are. You're not too old to be healed. You're not too young to have anointing. Lift your hands and open your hearts all over this house. If you're in this room, if you are in this room and maybe you feel like you've been in a storm, I don't know whether you've come to the altar yet or not, but if you feel like that you need the touch of the Lord tonight, would you just step into the aisle? Yeah. Somebody say, the Lord's calling me to something bigger. They look like tempestuous times, but they're not. It looks like, it looks like hell, but it's not. It looks like a crisis, but it's not. It's God working in a way that you may not completely understand. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.